بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد ونسلی اللہ رسول الکریم الحمد للہ ٹا نائٹ از دا ٹوینٹی تھرڈ آف ڈسمبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی ٹو الحمد of the illustrious companion Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik and I've reached the point where I've mentioned that his beloved mother Sayyidina Umm Sulaim has now married Sayyidina Abu Talha and the unique dowry in this regard so note he was now being surrounded by illustrious personalities so the next section is entitled A few of the magnificent family members of this most auspicious household. The blessed household of Sayyidina Anas were truly blessed with majestic and noble personalities. So a few of whom I will now mention. So if you look at his family members, you realize that he was going to be a phenomena because of the illustrious personalities which he grew up amongst. So the first is his half-brother, i.e. Sayyidina Abu Umar ibn Abu Talha, radiyallahu anhu. So in a famous report in Sayyih Bukhari, number 6203, and Sayyih Muslim, number 2150, Sayyidina Anas himself, he relates, radiyallahu anhu. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he used to mix with this so much so, that he once said to my younger brother, Ya Abba Umar, ma fa'alan ghair. O Abu Umar, what happened to your little sparrow? He radiyallahu had a little sparrow with which he used to play, but it had died. So this is a very famous report recorded in the two glorious sahihs. And Anas was explaining how Rasulullah mixed with his family. And he goes, with my younger brother. So obviously this is the younger brother of Anas. The father was Abu Talha. They shared the same mother, Umm Sulaim. And he had a little sparrow. And the, the little sparrow died. So the Prophet ﷺ, on a play of words, he said, Ya Abba Umar, Ma fa'alan naghair. O father of Umar, what happened to your little sparrow? So here, first of all, what is naghair? Nogher is a fairy bird with a red beak. When the bird died, Abu Umar was heartbroken. Our beloved Messenger on witnessing the youngster's remorse, he said the above words to cheer him up. Ya Abu Umar, ma fa'alan nogher. So now, even though it's a very simple hadith, The lessons the scholars extract from it are amazing. So for instance, Imam Nawwi Rahmatullah in his Sharh Sayyih Muslim 14-129 he said, we can extract the following from this narration. It is permissible to give a nickname to someone who does not have children yet. So not obviously he's a child. So why was he called the father of Umar? So 
the first thing Imam Nawawi points out is you can give a, uh, uh, an agnaman, a kunyat, even to a child. It is permissible, Imam Nawawi said, Rahmatullahi, to give a nickname to children and that is not considered lying. So this is something that you are allowed to do. Then he said, it is permissible to joke as long as it does not include evil or a sin. So the Prophet was cheering him up, i.e. with humor. It is permissible to call people with a short form of their name. Omer means the little Umar. So he made it shorter. His name was Umar. He goes, Ya Abu Omer. He shortened it. It is permissible for a child to play with a bird as a pet. It is encouraged to play around with children. It shows the high manners which Rasulullah possessed and also his humbleness. It is encouraged for one to visit his relative because Sayyidah Umm Sulaim was the maternal aunt of Rasulullah and the list goes on. So what's fascinating, you got a very famous report and yeah, look at the lessons and this is not exhaustive. He's highlighting how many things we extract from these blessed narrations from the Prophet Similarly, Shaykh al-Ahadith, Mawlana Yusuf Mutala, Rahmatullah he further elucidated in his work, manifestations of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu beauty, the heart of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's saints, volume 2, page 378. So he recently passed away, this Hanafi Shaykh, and he said, Rasulullah Sallallahu also explained the child's life expectancy in the sentence, Ya Abba Umar, O young one, those prophesying that the child in question would not live a long life. The word Abu is not always used to mean father. It can also be used to denote the possessor of. In Arabic, Ja'a Abu Laban means the possessor of milk has come. The term Abu in this context has been used to denote the possessor of. Those Ya Abba Omer means or the possessor of young age. The noble companions relate that this young boy did not live long and died at a young age, just as the Prophet had indicated. So look how amazing. So Abba, Abu means father. But in Arabic, it can also mean the possessor of. <clears throat> so the Sheikh gave the example, Ja'a Abu Laban. He has come, the father of Laban, but it means the one who possesses milk. So he said, therefore, Ya Abba Omer, it means all the possessor of young age, because he's diminutized. Or the possessor of young age. So this is a miracle. The Prophet was actually saying that the pet has died. But you have also a short life. What else? Qadi Safad al-Shafi, who died 1378 Christian era. So about 700 or so years ago. In his work, The Mercy in the Difference of the Four Sunni Schools of Islamic Law. Page 129, he commented. If someone opens a bird's cage without permission and the bird flies away, 
he is liable in the view of Imam Malik and Imam Ahmad. Imam Shafi'i says that if the bird flies away after a lapse of time, then he is not liable. Imam Abu Hanifa says he is not liable at all. So now think about this. Look how detailed our deen is. We've even got the answer to if a person opens, you know, a cage door of a pet, what is the ruling if the if the buji or whatever's inside the cage escapes? So Imam Malik and Imam Ahmad said if it's open without permission. So if the owner gives permission, then there's no liability. But if a person opens without permission and the bird flies, he's liable. Imam Shafi'i agrees with that. But he says, but after a lapse of time, if the bird flies away, he is not liable. Imam Abu Hanifa says, no liability whatsoever. So note, same report and lessons also been taken now in terms of fiqh. So did this youngster as prophesied pass away in his youth? Yes. <coughs> Our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa hinted to this day a youngster did not live long and he passed away. So where is the proof? His other brother, Abdullah ibn Abu Talha, anhuma, he relates, when Omer ibn Abu Talha anhuma, passed away, Abu Talha thereupon called Rasulullah to attend his funeral. He وسلم, went to Abu Talha and offered the funeral prayer for Omer in their dwelling. Rasulullah stood in one line, sallallahu alayhi wa Behind him, sallallahu alayhi wa was Abu Talha, radiyallahu And behind Abu Talha was Um Suleim, radiyallahu No one else was with them at that time. Subhanallah. So where is this recorded? In Behaki, Tabarani in his Kabir, Hakim in his Mustadrak, 1-365 states Sahih to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim. Uh, Zahabi Sahih Al Haytami in Majma Az Zawaid 3-34 states Sahih. Shaykh Al Bani Rahmatullah in his Ahkam Al Janais page 126 he states, This hadith only follows the condition of Imam Muslim because Imam Bukhari did not collect narrations from Imara ibn Ghuzayya, a sub narrator, except in the form of Ta'aliq, i.e., without a chain of narration. In addition, there is another supporting narration for this from Anas recorded by Ahmad in his Musnad. 3-217. So simply put, this narration, even though it's not in the six famous collections, it's a sahih hadith. The only ikhtilaf is, is it sahih to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim or just Imam Muslim? So either way, it's a sahih hadith. Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullah said, it's only to the condition of Imam Muslim. Why? Because there's a person in the chain called Imada and Imam Bukhari narrates from him, but only in ta'aliq, meaning as a supporting... Therefore, you, it is not correct to say it's sahih to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim. And there's a supporting text as well. So now let's look at the text. So, the sun passes away, Umar. Abu Talha calls upon the Prophet So what's the first strange thing? It was not offered where the janazah is usually offered. It was offered in the dwelling of Abu Talha. The second unusual thing. There was only three people who offered the funeral prayer. And each of them was one saf. <laughs> Rasulullah was in the front, sallallahu alayhi wa Behind him was Abu Talha, radiyallahu And behind him was Um Sulaim. 
there was nobody else said Abdullah ibn Abu Talha note that this hadith proves that if there are facilities women may attend the funeral press so note we, we narrate the reports but the scholars start extracting so some people ignorantly say women are not allowed to attend the funeral prayer and the answer is no you're not right the women can attend the funeral prayer as long as there's facilities in addition if there is only one man besides the imam he should pray behind the imam and not besides him as in the case of other salats so the scholars point out it's not like a normal prayer so if there's two even then the one person stands behind similarly why was there three safs one should strive to have at least three rows why Sayyidina Malik ibn Hubaydah any Muslim who dies and three rows of Muslims make salat for him will be forgiven subhanallah any Muslim who dies and three rows of Muslims make salat for him will be forgiven this is in Abu Dawood number 3160 Ibn Imaj Mishkat Shaykh al states Sahih only as a saying of a sahab referred to as Da'if Sunan Abi Dawood number 695 Da'if Sunan Ibn Imaj number 327 and Ahkam al-Janais page 100 so is this authentic from the Prophet some scholars say sound some say weak but from the Sahaba stopping at him, it's authentic. Either way, it's, it's enough as a proof. Any Muslim who dies and three rows of Muslims make Salat for him will be forgiven. So look how interesting. Was it a coincidence that there were three Safs for the young Umar ibn Abu Talha? No, it wasn't. That was deliberate on the part of the Prophet And similarly, Sayyidina Abu Umar he said, Rasulullah prayed over a janazah with seven other people. He formed them into three rows. Three in the first, two in the second, and two in the third. This is in Tabrani in his Kabir, number 7785. And Shaykh al-Bani in his Ahkam al-Janais, page 127, indicates that one of the narrators, Ibn Lahi'ah, is considered to have a weakness in his memory. But... His narrations are acceptable when they have supporting texts, as is the case here. So, is this authentic? It has a weakness because there's a weak person in the chain. But if narrations support, then it's fine. And this is obviously supported by the previous text. So, there's seven people now playing. And how did the Prophet separate them? Three, two, two. Three subs again. One should also strive to at least accommodate for 40 participants. Why? Abdullah ibn Abbas, he relates that our beloved messenger said, Whenever a Muslim man dies and 40 men pray over his funeral, none of them joining anything with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in worship, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala graciously grants them intercession for him. Subhanallah. This is in Sayyid Muslim. <coughs> so let's look at this. So 40 Muslims, but it's a condition. None of them commit shirk. <laughs> so this seems like, well, who's going to commit shirk? Now, what's the howl? Some people, they say that Muslims can't commit shirk. And how do you explain this hadith? <laughs> right? So the Prophet was telling you that if 40 Muslims offer the funeral prayer and none of them commit shirk, and look how merciful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, 
he could have added something to that. If he had said none of them commit major sins, well, who's going to get 40 men who don't commit major sins? Or none of them this and that, only one thing, they don't commit shirk. Then Allah Ta'ala grants them intercession. Now what does that mean? It means those 40, when they offer the funeral prayer, their intercession will be accepted for that deceased person. <laughs> However, the more the merrier. Why? For our beloved mother, Sayyidah Maimuna radiyallahu alayhi that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, whenever a large group of people pray janazah for the deceased, they are granted intercession for him. <laughs> whenever a large group of people pray janazah for the deceased, they are then granted intercession for him. This is in Nasai. And Shaykh Al-Bani Rahmatullah states, Hassan in Sayyih Al-Jami, number 5787. Now there's no numbers. The Prophet simply said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, a large group pray. So now, this is where knowledge is needed. When you take, when you go to the funeral prayer, people are oblivious to this. So for instance, we once offered the funeral prayer ourselves. One of the... Uh, one of our friend's mothers passed away and she actually took the shahada. He was a, he's a revert himself and his aunt passed away and she took the shahada towards the end of her life. So the funeral prayer, we had to do it in the actual place where the body is kept. <coughs> Non-Muslim place where the body is kept because all of the family were non-Muslims. And when we were offering the funeral prayer, I told the brothers who were there, three, three safs. <laughs> So I stood in the front, I think one or two in the bike, second, and then there was a one in the... And they asked me, because why don't we just pray in one self? <laughs> and I told them, of course, there is, there's the knowledge. <laughs> so what was the blessing of that? The blessing is, inshallah, that will now, the Prophet wasallam said, Allah Ta'ala will forgive the deceased, because three rows of Muslims have made salat for him. <laughs> no point trying to work it out. <laughs> and also 40. So sometimes you notice you might get a few people attending the funeral prayer and it's just short of the 40. So it's worth holding back a few minutes. Phone somebody. Get 40 people. Of course, they don't commit shirk. And that will also, inshallah, help the deceased. Because at the end of the day, you want to help the deceased. You know, people do all these elaborate things when a person dies. You know, it's khatam, this khatam, that. And what about here? Sunnah. So no, the Prophet is telling you what to do, sallallahu alayhi wa But of course, the more the merrier, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with the noble youngster, Sayyidina Umar ibn Abu Talha, radiyallahu and forgive us all for his honorable sake. Amen. So what's interesting, where was Anas? So note, Allah Ta'ala was honoring this blessed family because this was the aunt of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa And note how the Prophet had an inkling he would die young. Abu Umar, or the possessor of young age. And of course, he did pass away young. As if the Prophet was hinting, look, this is going to happen. But of course, it's a great blessing for the parents when they use a, lose a child before puberty. Because that will, inshallah, also add to their status in the next life. And just to mention another one of the brothers of uh, Sayyidina Anas. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abu Talha, the half-brother of Anas. So what do you know about this brother? Anas himself said about Abdullah, no youth amongst the Ansar was better than my brother Abdullah. Many men descended from him and he was martyred in Persia, I during the campaigns. So, 
This is in Sayyid Bukhari 9-509, Sayyid Muslim number 5612-13 and 6322-23. Ahmad in his Musnad number 21641, Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat 8-431, Riyadh al number 44, a combined report. Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi states Sayyid in Ahkam al-Jana'is, page 35-8. So from this flawless report, Anas said a few very interesting things about his brother. He goes, no youth amongst the Ansar was better than my brother. That's a tremendous place. Why? Because there were many youths amongst the Ansar. He goes, there wasn't anybody greater than my brother. Many men descended from him. Why? Because the Prophet made dua and he was blessed with many offspring. And he gave his life during a campaign against the Persians. He ended his life with martyrdom. So this is all you need to know about Abdullah. Abdullah ibn Abu Talha. Now what's interesting? Both of these brothers were younger than Anas. <laughs> but they passed away well, well earlier than him. So look how interesting. He was the older brother. And yet the younger brothers are passing away. One passed away extremely young. And the other passed away during uh, Sayyidina Umar, Khalifa radiyallahu. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be well pleased with the noble martyr Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abu Talha radiyallahu and forgive us all for his honorable sake. Ameen. And just to add this, there's a beautiful report which I'll summarize. They also were blessed with, a, with, a, with another child. Some said it was Omer ibn Abu Talha, but it doesn't seem to be him. And the reason I say it doesn't appear to be him is because he was obviously had a pet. He was walking. He was, you know, a youngster. This report recorded in the Sayyid mentions that they had another child. And Abu Talha, he had a habit, he would go in the morning to be with the Prophet He'd come back at Isha. He spent the whole day with the Prophet. So when he left, the report says that they had a small child and the child passed away. When the child passed away, Umm Sulaim told her family, do not tell your my husband about his, his son passing. So when he came back, she had him wrapped up and it appeared as if he was asleep. So when Abu Talha came back, he looked at his son and he asked his wife, he goes, how's my son? And she goes, oh, he's resting. And then the report says that they spent, they had intimacy that night. The next morning, Um Sulaim, she said to her husband, we've got some strange neighbors. So Abu Talha goes, why do you say that? And Um Sulaim said, well, I borrowed them something. And when I went now to take it back, they were complaining. So Abu Talha goes, that's not right. He goes, you've got every right to take it back, it's yours. Then she said to Abu Talha, Allah Ta'ala gave you your son, he's taken him back. So stop in the report. Look at her wisdom. Like I said, you know, she was a very, very intelligent, heavenly woman. And if you look at the little glimpses you get, first, she made Abu Talha judge. And then when he said, well, it's yours in the first place. You can take it back whenever you want. When he said that, then she told him, Allah Ta'ala gave you your son. He's taken him back. But at that moment, Abu Talha, he couldn't see the wisdom. He goes, you... You made me do what I did this night without telling me my son's passed away. And he was really angry. He leaves. He has the bath. 
he goes to the Prophet and he told the Prophet what happened. The Prophet then only asked him one question. Did you sleep with your wife? And Abu Talha was yes, Ya Rasulullah. And then the Prophet made dua. May Allah bless your union. And then Anas said from that he was blessed with more children. And he mentions one report they had nine qadis. <laughs> so now what do you notice about Abu Talha and Um Suleh? A lot of their children were dying young. Look how interesting. Right? You got Omer ibn Abu Talha. He dies maybe four, five, six years old. You got Abdullah ibn Abu Talha who's grown. He's, a, he's in the peak of his life. He was martyred. You've got this brotherhood details we don't have much knowledge of. So what does that tell you? Allah was bombarding this family with immense honors. But right in the middle of it, you got honors. And he went on to live for a very long time. So what's very touching is when you report these reports, they're all going to Firdos. And he's being left behind. As if you have to you know, play out your life and legacy before you join your family. SubhanAllah. So all I mentioned today, was basically now getting acquainted with some of the blessed family members of Anas. And I mentioned two of his illustrious younger brothers, Abu Omer ibn Abu Talha and Abdullah ibn Abu Talha. And I mentioned in brief another one of his brothers whose name is not known. And the lessons we can take from these blessed authentic reports. Are there any questions you like us? Subhanallah <laughs> <laughs>